When you're gonna dig out your snow shovel because it's time for soccer, it's that so MLS, <laughs> a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Nick, the soccer season is back. My word. I, it started to feel like we were never going to get here, but here we are. The, uh, you know it's soccer season because there is a huge five-foot-long torrent of ice sticking out of every storm drain I walk by mm-hmm. uh, here in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, yet again, I mean, no MLS team plays here, but uh, but the, the frigidness that still remains in, in many areas of this country is another great reason to not ever get away from the summer season. Yeah, <laughs> the, time, time to dig out them orange soccer balls. Because even now, even now, it's so... It was funny, I was watching uh, some of the, the teams' uh, Canadian... Uh, sorry, the CONCACAF Champions League games, and there is piles of snow, like, on the corner in Toronto, because it was minus 10, minus whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm in Vancouver, and the last game I played uh, a couple of weeks ago, they had finally cleared the field, but every time the ball would go out of bounds, you'd have to climb over a five-foot snowbank because they had just put all the snow directly around the border of the field. Oh, no. So these sort of these ice mountains you had to climb over. That was fun. That sounds like a great setup for a goal celebration. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we didn't have many causes for goal celebrations, oh, but yes, oh, I no. agree. In theory, uh, in theory, it would have been. Well, Major League Soccer's uh, 2019 campaign is starting this weekend. Uh, I'm really excited. This is... Uh, no, I guess I would have already seen some games by now. But uh, uh, this is this May will be the 10-year anniversary, the first time I saw a pro game live. Wow. So, Congratulations. So. What is that, what's that, paper anniversary or <laughs> copper? I believe I give leather, leather. I believe I send the Vancouver Whitecaps a single piece of letter paper that says thanks. Right. Yes. <laughs> um. So uh, because it's the new season, we want to try and give people a uh, like a a little refresher, or perhaps it's an off season. You 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 may not have been paying uh, the most attention to all of these these transfers and in and where teams uh, are at now that they weren't in December. So mm-hmm. it would be great to sort of uh, lead people in, lack, uh, reintroduce people to the teams a little bit and also to ourselves. So uh, how did you get introduced to soccer? Yeah, I, I mean, and this is actually a thing. This is our third MLS season of doing the show, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't think we've ever really done is actually just talked about ourselves and why we've gotten into soccer. Um where did I get into soccer? I honestly, I worked with this British guy for many years and I, I kind of had somewhat paid attention to soccer, but I'd never really followed a team. Yeah. And he was a big Everton supporter. And I just found after a while, it was so clear that that's what he wanted to talk about that I decided I needed to like pick a team just so I could have something to add to the conversation. Uh-huh. And so I just, I spent a couple of Saturdays watching English Premier League and uh this was back kind of in the glory days of Arsenal and I just liked the way that they played and thought 
yeah, sure, this will be the team I support. And very quickly just kind of got hooked on it. And then when I first moved to Vancouver in 2010, that was the Whitecaps' first season in MLS. And that just sort of, I decided, was like, okay, uh, I'm going to follow along. Went to my first Whitecaps game at uh, back when they were still out at Empire Field. And again, just kind of got hooked. And it just sort of be- continued to escalate and, and snowball. I started playing uh, recreational soccer for the very first time at the ripe old age of, I, I think, uh, 26. And the more soccer I got, the more I wanted. And that has not stopped. <laughs> That's very good. Um, mm-hmm. I had sort of, uh, I played, I played a little bit when I was very young, um, but didn't really, you know, wasn't really attached to it too much. And, and I didn't really have a, a huge, like sport fan household. Um, but in high school, I got really into, um, hockey and I was really into the internet. So I was posting on the internet about hockey and some of the forums on the internet where you could post about hockey, um, some of those same people were also posting about soccer. So I was thinking, well, I will, uh, why don't I, you know, give this a look? Um, and I, I watched a couple of matches of the day until I enjoyed, I started, you know, really enjoying uh, Tottenham Hotspur in the, the t- I think the 2004, 2005 season. I think it was 2005-2006. In the first match that I ever watched um, was like a game against Charlton uh, in 2000. Yeah, it was 2005 because it would have been October 1st, 2005. Charlton went up two goals by the at halftime, and then Tottenham won, uh, scored three in the second half to win. And at that point, I'm like, "Well, I'm in. Here we are. (laughs) This is what I'm doing." in the, the but the same people you know in, in people really did promote uh, a a global approach to soccer where it's like you can follow things that are happening in multiple different leagues which really appealed to me um, and the um, I, so I started I think with I was watching everything that I could I was watching like. Um, I got, like, grainy versions of, like, TV5, I think, which is the French channel in Canada. Uh, so I was watching, right. like, French... I was watching grainy broadcasts of French soccer in French. Uh, and then, like, uh, the... There's always soccer on somewhere. Uh, it was, like, the... In 2006, it was... They had the uh, uh, the MLS, I think, quarterfinals or semifinals... Um, on NBC on a Saturday. So that was like the first MLS match that I saw. Um, and in general, people promoted, you know, follow your local team, follow your your national team or whatever. So so I kind of got through to Canadian soccer that way. Um, started to follow the USL Whitecaps, attended my first game, as I said, 10 years, uh, almost 10 years ago um, uh, against the Montreal impact in the Canadian championship. Um, <coughs> imp- uh, un- incorrectly treated the drink limit as a drink quota and would had to run to the outhouse uh, to miss my first professional goal. <laughs> that took place <laughs> in the, 
but that but I but that's also you know I I'd been you know on forums talking with the Southsiders and and they were such a welcoming group at that time, um, and sort of I I followed through the USL era and I'm a journalist, um I work currently at Brunswick News in uh in New Brunswick and at that time I was at a student paper so I started also on the side doing some soccer blogging, um, and Habit Times done that uh you know, covered the Whitecaps in MLS. And, and I sort of just got on the train at that point of, of following uh, the Whitecaps and, and other MLS teams um, mm-hmm. until we got here to this podcast, which is all about um, sort of covering the league from a, uh, like a league perspective, because you and I be Canada, we see how NHL is discussed. We see how other leagues are discussed with, a league-based, you know, framework, whereas so often the only time that you'll hear MLS discussed is this protagonist kind of base coverage. So we want to try and, and, and give people a, a view of the whole league. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, like, I think in terms of how we're, what we are separately bringing to the conversation and also kind of what we collectively agree on separately, I think, like, obviously you know, you are a professional working journalist and also a lover of soccer history. And so, you know, in terms of understanding the history of clubs and their trajectories, um, especially helping break down how sort of business is done in MLS. Um, and then of course, obviously is a a huge fan of the sport of just uh, appreciating great plays and, uh, great players, coaches, etc. Um, I like, That's always the stuff I need. I need help with is the business side, <laughs> the history side of things, um, and it and as somebody who very passionately plays at the absolute lowest possible level of soccer, uh, for me, I'm always interested in um, tactics, progression, and storylines of individual players, particularly with um, youth development, but also just really appreciating um, team chemistry. Not that you don't, but. Um, Appreciating just what it takes to execute something on the field and the athleticism um, and the, the tactics, both as from the team side and individually on a field, that's something that always really fascinates me. And we started this podcast out of our shared, you know, we were just both watching so much soccer <laughs> and then sending all these messages back and forth that literally this podcast was born out of like a, maybe we should like record these conversations because we're, talk, we're, we're already watching the soccer and we're already having the conversations. Like all we really need to do is just Skype and turn on the mics and we've got a show. I got a text from you in an airport that said, <laughs> that said, why don't, why don't we already have a podcast? What, where were you going? I was I coming back. I was leaving. I was in uh, the Okanagan going back to Toronto where I lived and worked at the time. Um, right, right, for my right, mom's right. wedding, um, and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it." Um, the you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I love the I love the sort of the balance of your taxes based based approach. I really try to look at uh, stories as well, and in, in, in to try and think of how, like you know what what a team's. Uh, what a team's arc is over the course of the season, that kind of thing. Um, and, and how more than just do like more than just, 
you know, what exactly are all of the, the plays that took place in a game? It's like, um, what happened? You know, what, what is the, what explains what happened? Uh, and so yeah. that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm always very interested in as you as you you got it right. I don't have a lot of physical experience playing. I've I've done some rec stuff and I've played. That wasn't a dig. That wasn't a no, dig. but it's true. No, I have a good story because I uh, <laughs> I um, when I was working at Fort McMurray, uh, I got to be in the 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 tryout camp. Uh, there was like a media. They were playing a game up there, so there was like a media camp where Colin Miller would put the media members through their paces. And so uh, I've written about how that really gave me a huge, uh, a, a huge understanding of how hard your, your heart is pounding, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially a heart like mine uh, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't have all this uh, experience of how to do it. So, so I really appreciate the perspective of, of what it takes to execute and what's going through your mind uh, in these situations. Nice. Um, do you, yeah. So that was the front. I, I wrote down. Uh, I wrote down all of my first matches. Uh, when you asked me when you asked me where I started, wow. which is which is full. The I, I got the Charlton Charlton two three Tottenham on two thousand five. Uh, the first game on the first MLS match on TV was New England uh, two on Chicago Revs. Uh, Revs 4-2 on pens in MLS Cup first round in 2006. Um, mm -hmm. The first match that I saw, the first Vancouver the first Vancouver match that I saw was in 2009, uh, and the first MLS match that I saw live was in that 2011 first Vancouver season, uh, a 3-1 loss to Seattle in the last game at Empire Field. Mm. Uh, so those are, yeah. those are my... And my first pro women's game live was uh, Whitecaps women versus Santa Clarita Blue Heat in Penticton in 2011. Wow! <laughs> so that was that was my research. So that I had to, like I said, this is the kind of uh, the kind of list nonsense that I love <clears throat> to do in my spare time. <laughs> and in true Nick fashion, I forgot that I even asked the question. <laughs> And didn't even get the year right that uh, Vancouver Whitecaps joined MLS. So <laughs> I'll just see myself out here. I don't remember who we played. It was still... Um, oh Were you at the franchise opener? No, I don't think I was at the opener. I think I went to maybe three or four games that first season, which is about as many as we won. <laughs> you know what? We might have played Toronto, actually. That would have been. That could have been. I guess they, they somewhere in my somewhere in this apartment is like the. I still have the first like game program oh. from that match, but uh, I have no idea where in the apartment it is. So uh, we've introduced you to us. Now uh, let's introduce you to the teams. Do you want to do that um, conference by conference? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, so um, we are going to go. I have it uh, alphabetically in front of me, but I don't know if that's the way we want to do it. <laughs> but uh, but we can. Um, the team now has a, a, a stout 24 teams. There, there are now a stout and balanced 24 teams uh, in Major League Soccer, so each conference has 12. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, So I'm going to kind of work. Let's go back and forth, I guess, sort of you know, talking about a team and then saying, 
who are these people? What is what what what's what's these people's deal? So uh, I'm going right. to give you uh, I'm going to tee you off with the Colorado Rapids. The Colorado Rapids. Okay, so the Colorado Rapids, I I would say somewhat fairly, are a much maligned MLS outfit that uh, has had some glory years, has had some success in MLS, but those days are long gone. And it's been several years of darkness for them and really on the fringes of MLS. In particular, the last two, three years have been real, real bad. They finished only second from the bottom in the Western Conference last year. They only won eight games, really struggled struggled to score goals and also struggled to uh, keep goals out of their own net, despite having uh, long-standing, homegrown product Tim Howard, a much-loved goalkeeper. But just the problems abounded for them, particularly last season. Uh, they're all, also, I, I would arguably say, one of the most improved sides coming into this season in terms of all of the additions that they've made. Um, they've had some really good preseason performances, it's hard to, in terms of predicting how they're going to perform this year, um, exactly how they'll compete and, and where they may end up. But I think they've, they're a club that's added a lot of dynamics, um, a lot of dynamic players. Uh, they've brought in Kai Kamara. Um, they've also got Nico Mosquita from the Vancouver Whitecaps. And just all around the park have really built up a much stronger roster with much, much greater depth than what they've had in the last few years. So I think Colorado... Um, if you're looking for a team to cheer on this year and you kind of want a bit of an underdog, I think Colorado's going to surprise people because the expectations on them are so low. Um, that being said, I think that where they're at this year, still we're maybe looking at a mid-table performance, but I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that they, they could make the playoffs. I think Colorado Rapids fans are just going to be excited that they're not the, the laughing stock of the league anymore and that they will be able to compete and are just bringing a very different look. I think that the, the additions that they've made, it's going to be really interesting to see with a, with a stronger team around him, how that's going to affect uh, U.S. goalkeeping legend uh, Tim Howard in his last year, uh, which he said is going to be his, his, the last year of his career. Right, the retirement victory out. <laughs> we love uh, we love Howard. He was one of the the uh, he's he's a part of what I would call a tradition of 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 angry <laughs> angry put upon goalkeepers on bad teams. Uh, I think is a, a well worn MLS trope. Um, uh, and I I would say he's sort of like the OG of that too. <laughs> That's right. Kind yeah, of a shady honor to have, but well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Absolutely. Okay, I got to toss you one, but I don't. I don't think I have the same list as you in terms of alphabetical. Well, just, 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 uh, just hit me with it. All right. Well, we're starting in the in the West. Um. So I'm going to give you Sporting Kansas City. Sporting Kansas City. Um. This is a team that used to be called the Kansas City Wizards. They are one of the MLS. Uh. I believe the MLS original teams. Am I? No, no. With Colorado and Dallas, they're the. Uh, I believe they're expansion teams. Um, the, yes, that's correct. Um, they're a team that has. Uh, I I would say, been, um, a mark of 
not just success, but also quality because uh, they won MLS Cup, I want to say three years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the intervening years, they've really on top of that also, uh, oh, where is it? Yeah, they won an MLS Cup in, in, in 2015 and 2017. And in 2018, or no, no, they won the U.S. Open Cup in, 20, in, in those years. They won MLS Cup in 2013. That's correct. Um, in the intervening years, they have always been quality, and particularly they've been remarked for their uh, defensive prowess. They, they mm-hmm. don't let much go, and they don't let a lot of goals in. Last year, they kind of, I would say, weren't necessarily the, bio, the league's byword for defense um, because they tried to, to, to spread out a little bit of a, of, uh, with a little bit more forward play in, in kind of what I would call a, a, a physical Smash Bros. style. Um, mm-hmm. This year is going to be really interesting for them because, like I said, one of the things that people track with Sporting Kansas City is this is is quality organization and defensive responsibility, um, and they have uh, said goodbye to uh, their one of their key defenders, Ike Para, who's gone to Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. And we've talked about this on the show in past weeks, but it's the the additions have with the people that they have are you know been losing. Um, Diego Rubio and Kyrie Shelton, who were not key people last year, but they were people who it's like they were competing for the same spot. Now neither of them are there. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, a name that I recognize is Brad Evans, who has a lot of experience, but uh, mm-hmm. and, and he's also out. Um, without the real rock on the back line that Ike Opara is in, in beyond one player, it's like one player. He's a really he's an incredibly great. Defensive player was defensive player of the year two years ago. Um, his contribution is both that and also, as you will see with some other teams around the league, when you lose your key center back, you, you have to come. It's not just as simple as plugging back in a new center back, right? Like you, you, you mm-hmm. have to rebuild, you know, team organization. Absolutely. Uh, I think they've made some good additions, but I think we have remarked that their additions to the team don't quite replace the quality that they had. And so, um, you know, Peter Vermees has built a really strong foundation at the club. I expect that they'll do well. Um, I I guess I'm still left scratching my head a little bit to see how they could possibly do better than they did last season, which was top of the Western Conference. Um, Always good. However, Always good. And had a good little playoff run. Um, but I, I don't see them being able to meet that same target currently. So I, I, I see a team that's probably going to still be difficult to play against. Um, it's going to score a lot of goals and concede few, but I think they may score fewer goals and concede more this season. Let's go to their, uh, their expansion cousins, FC Dallas. What can you tell me about Dallas? So FC Dallas is a team that has had up and down years in MLS. Um, they've been, until last year, I would say, uh, one of the stronger teams in the Western Conference. They struggled quite a bit last season. Now, they ended up fourth overall in the Western Conference, but they had a number of runs where they just kind of, from week to week, you didn't quite know what to expect from them. 
Um, but they've always been a team that's been able to score a lot of goals and have been very difficult to play against. And maybe it's just the Whitecaps fan in me, but also kind of a bit of a villain at times. A, a team that has no problem coming in and spoiling the party for others. That is uh, um, th- it, that is definitely fair. Uh, I think that that was a big part when they had uh, Brian Ruiz. Yes, <laughs> who can get on Absolutely. who can get on a lot of people's nerves. Um, they haven't made any major, huge, splashy signings. However, that's never quite been Dallas's mode anyway. And one of the things that I've seen, they're actually one of the few teams I've seen quite a bit of in terms of their preseason matches and results. And they're looking like quite a well-oiled machine. They've got a young goalkeeper in Jesse Gonzalez. He's 23. I think he's going to be, um, he's a homegrown player. I think he's going to continue to be uh, a real asset to MLS and a, a young goalkeeper to watch. Um, they've got Matt Hedges, who I still think is arguably one of the best center backs in the league. Defensively, they've been, um, quite steady overall. I think they've got a good squad and I think they're going to continue to build off of what they built last season and also continue to be an example of a team that doesn't go with just the big name signings and the star power, but really tries to build a team that works well as a collective unit. I it seems that they're, they're continuing very much on that pattern. I would expect them to probably end up um, similarly to where they did last season um, with maybe a, for, a few more surprises along the way because they have looked very strong heading into preseason. They, they do look like they're ready for the season to start. Um, I think that uh, the, the big... You're right that the in terms of additions or subtractions on the player side, there hasn't been a lot. But I think that the, the, the big thing to look at has been the departure of um, Oscar Perea, who had been there mm-hmm. uh, since 2014. Um, he, uh, so he has left, and the new, the new coach is called Luchi Gonzalez. Um, and, and from what you've been seeing, you are enjoying how he has, uh, has brought the team around in terms of preparation. Absolutely. I, I think that Perea did a great job with the club um, and was certainly a great manager in MLS. But sometimes you just need a shakeup of things, you know? And I think it, it may be similar to when Caleb Porter left Portland, that you have a team that's performing well and you have a, a coaching change that you might think, okay, well, where is this going to lead to? Um, but it can just bring in a, a freshness of perspective and tactics that... Um, even without a huge bunch of changeover in the team, results in uh, kind of some, some renewed energy and, and maybe a slightly different look team. Uh, the other thing, the other big talking point I think that is, is constant with Dallas is attendance. They're a team that has always been, had sort of a, a they've always been a, a bulwark team. But at the same time, um, they... Their stadium, Toyota uh, Toyota Stadium, which used to be called Pizza Hut Park, um, is <laughs> is one of the original sort of soccer specific stadiums in in the mid two thousands push to build two thousand seat stadiums that were being used only for soccer, so they weren't cavernous like NFL grounds, uh, and it built it out in the suburbs in Frisco. Um, that combining with the heat of Houston. Um, has really proved a consistent uh, challenge to draw people. And despite the fact that, that Dallas is a, is a key part of the league, 
Um, and the Toyota Stadium is the location of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Um, mm. The attendance is always something people watch and comment on when it comes to Dallas and, and, and track to see if they have, have found improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's always a little bit disheartening to, to tune into a, a Dallas game and see so many seats empty, but, uh, you know, it's not everything. Who do you got for me? Who do I got for you? I'm going to throw you Minnesota. Minnesota United FC, one of the newer teams in the league. i got to say also, uh, you, you said that I was the history guy, and apparently I missed that MLS... Oh, wait, no, no. I think, uh, yeah, MLS had its first season in 1996, and I keep saying these are all expansion sides. No, no, they're <laughs> Colorado. See, I, I jinxed it. <laughs> they're all they're all starter sides. But Minnesota is not a, a charter member of the league. It was an expansion uh, franchise. Uh, only uh, two years ago, they had their, uh, their, had their debut season. They have had an interesting... Uh, I would say <laughs> they'd have an interesting run of it um, because I would say that they came into the league at the same time as Atlanta and Atlanta enjoyed yeah. quite a bit of success as we'll discuss. Um, and Minnesota had a little bit more of a slow grow uh, period. And they, they had a, a really, uh, a really rotten, a really rotten first season, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to like in uh, in, in Minnesota now. Uh, they are being coached as they have from their inception by Adrian Heath, uh, and they uh, they've brought in they brought in Icopara, who we were just talking about with Kansas City. Um, mm -hmm. They have made some interesting additions. I wouldn't necessarily say the additions have been good enough to say um, like this is a real turnaround from what they were doing before, but. You know, whenever you see some a, a big splash like a Icopara or Osvaldo Alonso, or no, I don't know if Alonso counts, but you know what I mean. Like when they when they make a when they make an addition, it's like okay, well, are they? Is this going to be a positive thing, or is this going to be something where where somebody is going to come in and, and and realize, oh no, what did I get myself into? Mm -hmm. Great fans, though. I'm, I, I, I know I'm being a little down on on Minnesota, but they've stuck out. They they stick it out uh, up there. See, yeah, and I mean, I think everything that you've said is fair. Um, I disagree slightly in that I think that they have made significant additions. I, I get the the cautious optimism is definitely, or maybe just the caution <laughs> is totally apt for this club. Um, but I think that they've made some really good additions. And we've talked about before that Minnesota's had terrible seasons, but overall, they've never been a terrible team. There's always been little glimmers of hope to them and performance at the, performances that they've been able to pull out where you just um, look at how fantastic they can be at times. The one for me that's still a bit of a question mark is um, goalkeeping. Bobby Shuttleworth has not been uh, a fantastic goalkeeper for them. Um, they have brought in uh, Vito Menone from uh, the the Italy goalkeeper. He used to play for Arsenal and another uh, a number of other English clubs. Not really a first-rate goalkeeper either, but I think that they've made some significant defensive shifts here without throwing out some of the things that made them really great. So 
um, in the odd moment that they were. So I, I feel a little bit more optimistic about their favors heading into the season. Uh, I'm going to take you back to Texas uh, with the rival of uh, FC Dallas, the Houston Dynamo. Ah, uh, yes. Woohoo! I was hoping you were going to give me Houston. Another club that I've been able to see uh, a little bit of in offseason, one of the few MLS clubs that's had some Champions League success heading into the season. Um, I think that there's a lot to be excited about Houston heading into the season. Now, the Dynamo have been up and down and all over in MLS, and another club that's really been kind of a bottom feeder in the last couple of years. However, still capable of producing some pretty electric performances. I think, ultimately, the way what I'd summarize the Houston Dynamo as is speed. They've always been a quick team. They remain a very quick team. They're a team that uh, is great at um, breaking you in the counterattack, I think that they've got a really solid lineup across the board. And, like Dallas, are a club that don't necessarily just rely on big names to um, have them compete. Mm -hmm. That being said, you could also argue that they haven't really been competing at a particularly high level the last couple of years. Um, but watching them in the uh, in the preseason lead-up, I think that they've they've got a lot of really great things and they're an exciting, relatively young team, but with some really great leadership. Um, they brought in Marlon Hairston from Colorado, a great midfielder slash defender from Colorado, who really struggled with them last season, um, but seems to be doing really well in the Houston system. So I think it's great. I'd love to see him. He's 24. I'd love to see this kind of be a great breakout season for him. Um Minotas has always been a, a stalwart guy for them. Yeah. And again, another young player. They've got all of this exciting young talent. And then they also have players like Demarcus Beasley, who at 36 is still able to get out there, run the park, and actually scored a series winning goal for them to have them advance in the Champions League. Uh, there's a lot to like about this club. Uh, another one that I would say, if you like an underdog story, Houston Dynamo is a great fun team to watch, and I think they're going to have a much better season um, with a, some some really smart moves, I think. Uh-huh. Um, it's not a major roster overhaul. I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. I'd love to see the city of Houston get behind this club and fill up some of those seats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would add to the, the, the sort of the, the arc... I definitely agree with you about underdogs. When you've got a player that, when you've got players that are as exciting as Albert Felice and Marlon Otis, um, yeah, you're not even if you're not necessarily winning it every game, you're gonna get, you're going to be entertained. Um, they were sort of the their arc um, is similar to uh, uh, they were involved in sort of a relocation drama. Uh, in that they were formerly the San Jose Earthquakes, um, and then got relocated to Houston by, uh, I believe, owners at the time, AEG, but I could be wrong. Um, and the in, in much the same way that the Quebec Nordiques became the uh, Colorado Avalanche in NHL, um, that they picked up a team that was already at... Uh, a elite level in terms of their program and immediately won the first two years, uh, which were some of my first years as well, watching uh, major league soccer. So it's kind of a funny, um, it was a great period for Houston fans. It was a rough period 
elsewhere <laughs> for people who yeah. were upset. And then like the like sort of Cleveland Browns in the NFL, uh, San Jose eventually got their team back. Um, well, got a team, and it was called the Earthquakes. So, so you don't really – despite the fact that they moved, you don't really uh, – I understand that you don't uh, – the honors don't move with them. I'm not sure if that's true. Right, yes. The name colors and competition records all stay with the Earthquakes. So you only say that Houston won MLS Cup twice and not four times. Right. Um, but it's been, as you can, as you said, it's been, uh, it's been leaner years recently. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to throw you, I hope you think this is, a, this is a fun one. Seattle Sounders, tell me about this club. Uh, okay, so Seattle Sounders are one of the uh, three Cascadian uh, teams. They, uh, one of the attributes that they all share is that they were previously existing in um, the USL, or sort of sort of the U.S. second division, whether you call it the USL or the NASL or, or what have you. Um, they were previously existing there. Uh, they uh, immediately made a big splash when they entered the league the year before the Whitecaps in 2010. Um, in terms of the amount of people, there was a sea change at that time in terms of the amount of people that they were able to um, put into the Century Link Stadium, which is the NFL stadium that they share with the Seattle Seahawks. As mentioned, there was a, a an idea that you had to have soccer-specific stadiums. And they did... Um, they changed a lot of people's minds in terms of the crowds that they were able to to put into this this relatively large facility with the use of some tarping. Um, but they uh, they they have always brought a, a a huge fan atmosphere and a great rivalry with the other two Cascadian teams. Um, they won MLS Cup in uh, twenty sixteen. Uh, one of the first two games that I got to attend in person. Um, they have been, uh, they had a, a lot of trouble last year, uh, partially because one of their, their young attacking players, Jordan Morris was injured very early, mm-hmm. I believe in the preseason and he was pretty much knocked out of the whole season straight away, which was a huge yeah. blow to their hopes. Um, their, their hopes of doing anything. Um, but they've sort of, they're a team that is continuing to add sort of attacking flavor um but uh some the core the, the core of the team is also not getting any younger so the addition of, of morris is really going to help out also owned by a consortium <laughs> uh, including drew carey which is an important fact for some people <laughs> just or important fact. fun facts yes yeah, and, and preseason they've looked a little shaky. Um, I think that they've got some room to grow. The last few years they've started horrendously in MLS and then they slowly pick up and then they make it into the playoffs and then they, they really seem to have a good run with things. So always a team, not always, but a team in recent years that's been slow to start. For me, the two big storylines for Seattle Sounders this year, of course, Jordan Morris, welcome back to him. That was the second, I believe, season-ending injury he's had that... He's been out for a long stretch, so it's great to see him healthy and back. He's looked really great in preseason. They've also got uh, a 15-year-old 
um, Danny Leva, who has sort of unexpectedly found his way into the roster, um, I think just through some injuries and sort of circumstances, but really seems to be an exciting young product for them. So excellent considering that, yes, as you pointed out, they are a lot of their key players aren't getting any younger. So it's great to see that they've got some, some youth talent coming up through the squad. Let me, uh, uh, let me feed you something rich. Uh, the LA galaxy. <laughs> Damn. I knew you're going to do that to me. <laughs> okay. LA galaxy. Um, LA is perhaps one of the most storied clubs in MLS, if not the most storied club at MLS. And for, I would say what close to a decade were basically just sort of the giants of MLS, our version of a Manchester United, just always up there, um, both with star power and in terms of performances, winning MLS Cup and being a very, very difficult team to beat. However, the sun seems to have set a little bit in L.A. in um, the last couple of years with the departures of some of those big names. L.A. Galaxy has been a club that at least since they David Beckham joined their club, has always looked to have some major star power to attract people in and tried to play a really exciting brand of soccer. It's a somewhat outdated way of existing in MLS, and I don't say outdated to pass judgment on it, just in terms of a lot of expansion clubs and other clubs that have been in the league for a while have moved away from this idea of bring in some older stars, and then build a team around that. There's not a ton of teams doing that anymore, but LA Galaxy has seemed to kind of stick to it a little bit, but also now having this dual system of trying to bring up some younger players as well. Now, of course, they signed God last year, brought Zlatan Ibrahimovic in, who scored some amazing goals um, and had just an incredible season for them. They've been able to keep him on. They currently have four DPs, which they're trying to sort out. Because, um, of course, MLS says you can only have three. As a club, I think that their last season where they really struggled it was that they scored a lot of goals and they also conceded a lot. And I think that they've made some good improvements in the offseason, but I, for the life of me, cannot see how they've improved even one little bit defensively over previous seasons. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times. But I would actually expect to see an LA Galaxy this season kind of end up where they left off last year, if not even a little lower. I think the West is going to be incredibly competitive. They finished just outside of the playoffs last year. Uh, I feel like there's better clubs across the conference ahead of them. And for me, that's still the big question mark, is how are they going to address the um, the number of goals conceded? I think there was maybe an idea that it was a lack of on-field leadership that they could address um, and a mentality around the club. I really think it's a case if they just don't have that strong of defenders and they don't have a lot of depth in those positions. So I think they left off seventh last season, I know we're not necessarily predicting where every club will end up, but LA Galaxy to me is one that screams. Um, I think they're going to be exciting and fun to watch. I think Zlatan is going to score a boatload of goals, and I think they're going to bleed a lot of goals and um, lose a lot of games late into the matches and not do too terribly well this season. Um, the uh, I would say that Ashley Cole left... Uh, I think he was positive. Sometimes with a player like that, you can wonder if that's an addition by subtraction when they're closer to the end of their career. But um, 
he uh, other than that there hasn't been a lot of I guess there's been an addition of a player called uh, Diego Polanta that I don't know that much about um but uh the they've they've also added uh, Uriel Antuna on loan from Manchester City in, in the return of Juninho uh hopefully maybe we'll give them more organization is something that they kind of hope for even just I think that the issue and it continues to be until they figure out what's going on with their 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 stars and their 40ps is is that they have all the they have they they try to use all their toys you know that they yeah. they have 40ps because they've gone in in addition to uh, to Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Romano Alessandrini who are great they also have Giovanni Dos Santos who has European experience but isn't that good anymore and they have Jonathan Dos Santos who I think is a little bit better. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. But I'd still say sell the two brothers and buy two great center backs and two great fullbacks. Um, the uh, <laughs> the big they they just lost uh, Ola Kamara, who is their forward that uh, transferred to Shenzhen. He's off to China. Um, yeah. The the historical sort of look with it uh, for them is that when they signed David Beckham, it was the movement of the league into a new era MLS 2.0 uh, with the addition of the designated player uh, rule and they really defined that uh, they were already they had been successful in years previous but they defined that with three MLS Cup wins since then and, and are the do have the record of, of five MLS Cups um, so they are uh, those moves really defined the league at a time and really helped get their brand out, you know, for a time that was the Jersey that you could find in sports mm-hmm. stores mm-hmm. across this, uh, across this country. Um, the LA galaxy one. Um, so they're continuing with, with the idea of sort of, you know, put it all on, on Zlatan. They're certainly, they certainly have, have maintained the quality but what they also defined for me in in bringing in Beckham is a rhythm that that teams have in MLS of when you bring in a key star, they need a year or two. You can't expect to sign one great player or three great players or four great players and just say, well, we've gone and bought the four best players available to us. Let's win a, an MLS Cup. It yeah, doesn't always either. happen in the first year. It doesn't even necessarily happen in the second year. Mm. Although sometimes it does, as we will discuss later. <laughs> True. We got a lot of clubs to cover. We're not even done the Western Conference yet. Yeah, we can, we can, we can, we can try to uh, to <laughs> to go a little faster. That's fine. Okay, I'm going to throw you the Vancouver Whitecaps FC. The Vancouver Whitecaps are a um, one of another one of the Cascadian clubs, a team that has heritage going back to the seventies in North America's uh, North American Soccer League, um, which folded in the eighties uh, and and led to a long dark period uh, between that folding and the beginning of MLS, where where various leagues sort of jockeyed for for position. Um, in, in no key, you know, products is available. They've been in the league since 2011. They have had um, some seasons where they have success. They've had 
years where they make it into the playoffs. Um, but I think that since the departure of uh, Camilo in 2013, um, no, in, in, in winter of 2014, uh, they have had a lot of trouble maintaining a play, like maintaining a, a key striker that uh, that people can rely on, and in in the years between now and then, have undergone a lot of change and turnover in the attempt of finding a winning formula. And this year is no exception, and and perhaps the most remarkable of that turnover. Absolutely. It's going to be a big year for them. Um, I would expect that we're going to see... Uh, I, w- I was on the MLS UK show talking about them. Oh, uh, yeah! Pretty, I, I pretty much said exactly what you just said, which is like, been a lot of change. We will see what happens. I would expect they're going to be up and down all season long as they sort out team chemistry and figure things out. But there's just... Everybody right now across the league is saying, like, what can you say about the Vancouver Whitecaps? This team has never played together before. Um, It will be exciting to see. They've certainly made some interesting additions, and they look like a great team. But, of course, you can look like a great team and not deliver. So we just have to wait and see what they do on the pitch. Positively or, like, for for good or for bad, uh, they said goodbye to 21 players in the offseason. Uh, mm-hmm. And brought in uh, another uh, fifteen. So yeah. that is, you know, a squad only has eighteen people in it. Like that is that is a complete overhaul. There are there are holdovers from the previous year, but but um, you hear people talk about it, saying that this is essentially going to be in a, this is almost an expansion year under new coach Marco Santos. Um, yeah, and of course. I think that Vancouver fans have have spent time waiting, and I don't know if people uh, are going to be patient, but there does need to be a little bit of patience. I think that if there is signs of progression, that will be positive to people. Um, Agreed. Breaking with my uh, breaking with my 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 uh, list here, my alphabetical order. Why don't I hit you with Portland to finish up the uh, the the Cascadia teams? Absolutely. Um, Portland Timbers have, um, well, I don't know how long they've been in MLS. Ask the historian in the group. <laughs> Portland were, were Vancouver's expansion cousins in 2011. Right, right. So they came in around the same time. Um, a team that's been up and down. Now they do have an MLS Cup to their name in their history here. Overall have had pretty good success. They've always been a strong competitive side. Um, a team that's wavered at points and um, certainly has been a beatable team. However, they've been a pretty consistent performer in MLS since they've been in it. Um, they've also won Cascadia Cup a, no- a number of times. Very strong squad, had a great season last year, and will be looking, of course, to build upon that this season. Um one of the things I, I think to note about Portland, again, is a club that they've had the system of not necessarily revolving around stars. However, in the last couple of years, they've relied very heavily on their star, Diego Valeri, to come in and pull them out of a number of situations. Now, Diego looks great in preseason, and uh, we can as- probably safely assume that he's going to have a good season again. However, 
Because he's getting older, the fitness thing remains a challenge, and we'll see just how big of a part he can play with them. And I think that becomes the big question mark for Portland moving forward, is how do they perform with the, without Diego Valeri, and do they have an out-and-out -out replacement for him? But they've got talent all over the field. Um, with the additions of people like uh, Sebastian Blanco last year, they've got Diego Chara, who's been in the club for a number of years. They've got great goalkeepers. Um, the young striker, Jeremy Abobasi, has helped out greatly for them. A great squad and a team that really, really um, has done significant work to keep their, um, their youth teams rolling and keeping young players coming in. So I think this is going to be an exciting year for Portland. I think that they've got a lot to, to prove in terms of can they kind of take it to the next level and compete definitely still some things that they kind of need to work out but look like a, a still a pretty quick and a pretty organized compact team to break down i think that they're going to do quite well this season uh hit me with the team i'm going to hit you with the team i'm going to hit you with lafc lafc are entering Oh God! Yeah. Okay. So this is they're they are uh, entering their sophomore season. They they came into the league last year. The oh God was just remembering like who just who even expanded into the league when <laughs> like like there been there's been a lot of addition and in, in, in kind of a new team every year. Last year it was LAFC who uh, who. I think hit the ground running in their first season uh in in very quickly amassed uh reputation as a team with a lot of attacking flair. They've got Carlos Vela of Mexico and Diego Rossi. Um they downside, I would say, is that I think that they um they started very hot and they did the the that sort of, you know, petered off towards the end of the, the season. Um, mm -hmm. So as, as fun as they are to watch, um, the, the interesting thing to see this year will be whether or not they can convert that into results into uh, to see if they can manage um, more consistent performance and, and to attain that form at the right time. They actually finished – Oh, it's the aggregate 2017-18 table, which would make sense because they were in the league in 2017. Um, they, uh, oh, what am I talking about? They made the playoffs. They made the <laughs> but still, they they looked at the beginning of the year like a really strong, like a like a really strong team. Um, but they have, uh, but they weren't able to to make it through. Uh, I believe Did they. Yeah, they lost in the opening round to Real Salt Lake, um, despite being the higher seeded team. So the it'll be interesting to see they're in, they're in uh, a, a situation where they had bright results, but they have to come up with something new. Definitely, and have not made a, a huge number of changes in the off season as well. It should be noted. They are the successor team of Chivas USA, which was an attempt to. Um, piggyback off of a Mexican team's branding and it went so bad that they just they just nuked the team and restarted it as, a, as an expansion franchise. Yep. I'm going to hit you uh, with the playoff opponents of LAFC last year, Real Salt Lake. Oh, right. For some reason I thought we'd already talked about them. 
It's no secret secret that Real Salt Lake is kind of my second team that I like to follow in MLS, just because they're so darn fun, and Mike, Mike <laughs> Petke is just such an entertaining entity. Real Salt Lake uh, has been around in MLS for a good long time. The, they were the Mon... They grew to the Monarchs before... No, the Monarchs is the uh, the the Monarchs is the NASL team. Um, the uh, Real Salt Lake, I, be- I believe, came into the league. Uh, they 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 woke up like that. Uh, they were they they were not the victim of a uh, of a of a of a rebrand. They entered the league in two thousand four, so they've got a fourteen year history. Um, at the time, people were the 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 name sounded as strange then as it did now. Uh, being a strange takeoff of Real Madrid in uh, in Utah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but they've but they have always been uh, an exciting team to watch. They've been uh, I don't know that they have a rivalry particularly with Vancouver, but I've always relished their games against one another. Well, I think there's there's similar level. They've been at similar levels of success with each other in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, what where they really surprised people last year was just their resilience and how far they could go in the playoffs. Again, considering they're not a team that has really any major star on them, they're built around a lot of young players. I would say right now their star player, if they have one, is Corey Baird, the 23 year old forward who's um, had great success in the club. Um, they've added some good pieces this off season. They're a team that again, likes to play really quick, but like Houston also tends to concede goals and they haven't made huge, significant strides, I think, in tightening up that back line. However, I think overall they've improved. They've got, uh, Nick Ramondo, who's easily one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And they've added some depth to that position as well. Albert Rusnak, the 24-year-old midfielder, has been a fabulous player for them and really had his breakout year, I would say, last year. And I think it's going to be exciting to see what they do. They've added a lot of youth. Um, Again, a team that I would say has not necessarily made a ton of changes that we could be like, oh, wow, look out for them this season. But considering how far they went last season, uh, I think things look pretty good for them heading into this season. And you know what, if they just squeak into the playoffs again, but are able to show that depth and resilience that they showed last season, I, I think, uh, you know, why not? Real Salt Lake could be a team that spoils the party for a few others again. The uh, um, the the big thing, as you mentioned with their youth movement, is that the most of the changes that they've made in the offseason have been the signing of homegrown players. Yeah. Which I think is great, too. Like, it's easy to sort of dismiss that and say, oh, the club's not serious because they're not signing big players. But that's what the system is supposed to do with the academies is that, like, this is sort of the dream that teams have. Is it a longer project? Absolutely. But I think it's a really positive sign for the club. One more team in the uh, in the Western Conference, and that is the San Jose Earthquakes. Yes. I know I'm going double here, but here we are. That's all right. San Jose brought in, uh, well, San Jose, as you, we've already talked a little bit about their history. Um, and the last two, three years in MLS have been dark, dark days for San Jose earthquakes, uh, really stuck to the bottom of the table beyond a few brief performances here and there have just been completely abysmal. And there was on field and off field bust ups last year. 
another coach departed. They brought in Almeida in the offseason, who uh, was a, a sort of a coup for them to get in a, a coach that has success in South America and other places. Chris Wondolowski is right on the doorstep of breaking um, Landon Donovan's all-time MLS goal-scoring record. He was one goal away, I believe, come the start of the season. A club, though, that I just don't understand how they expect to really compete, given that they haven't made a ton of positive changes in the offseason, and just seem to be a club that every fan is going to say their team doesn't spend enough money or is afraid of signing big-name players, or most teams. I really struggle to see how San Jose has made any significant improvements and how they intend to compete. Right now, if I look across the Western Conference, there's not a single team that I would rate behind San Jose Earthquakes at this point, and I would love nothing more than for the Earthquakes to prove me wrong. Um, they've, it's not for lack of talent, but I just feel like overall the system that needs to be there isn't quite there yet, and I think that's going to take time to put in, and that means that there's going to be some more roster movement. So I'd expect to see in the summer some more shifts in San Jose's roster. Speaking of uh, of grand pronouncements from you, don't you owe uh, RSL a uh, a jersey? Shh, shh, shh. Oh, oh, I'll forget shh. that. I'll forget that. Yep, nobody remembers that tweet. It's fine. New year, new me. <laughs> new year, new me. No, no. Also, there's not time to get it before the start of the season, which I realized last that's night. Fine. Not, you're not finding a lot of you're 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 you don't think you're gonna walk into the sport check and find a, 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 a Real Salt Lake jersey? Um, Possibly not. Let's jump to the Eastern Conference. Uh, we've we've still got a lot of clubs to get through. As 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 you <laughs> and I talked about, um, there's a lot of teams in this league now. These these previews get there's longer so and longer many. every year. Um, it's true. We need like a week long uh, intro to the season. But I, th- I feel like, um, not to do any discredit to the East, but I think we, we've talked a lot about the Eastern Conference, actually, in the offseason. So I think some of these we can kind of breeze through for folks without sacrificing too much. Last year's champions, Atlanta United. What do you think? Well, <laughs> the team that everybody loves to hate, except for Atlanta fans, uh, they also just wrapped up their second leg of their Champions League match and despite losing 3-1 in the opening round came back and won 4-zip so will so they will be advancing um new coach obviously last season their second season in mls their first season was great and they fell just short their second season they came in and put a stamp on it and an exclamation mark and never really looked like the team that was not going to win the title however with the departure of miguel almiron to newcastle united um, and the departure of their head coach, Tata Martino, who they owed so much success to. Big changes afoot for the club. However, they brought in some incredible talent as well. Long story short, Atlanta United is still going to be the team to beat this season. There's absolutely no reason to expect that they wouldn't be one of the top two clubs and why and that they um, won't be in the final. Maybe stretched a little bit thin, depending on how deep of a run they do in Champions League. Um, but I think they have depth in their squad and that, the, that they've also added to. Defensively, uh, I think they lost a, a really key piece, and we'll see how they make up for that in the loss of Grey Garza, that is. In the same way that LA Galaxy redefined the league, uh, Atlanta United is seen as 
ushering in MLS 3.0 um, through the massive success they've had in bringing in fans in Atlanta um, and breaking attendance records in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which they share with the Falcons. Um, mm-hmm. The the other thing you could say about them is that they hit the ground running with, I would say, one of the best, not just uh, off-the-field promotional campaigns in terms of getting people into it, but also the best approaches to build a team um, in recent um, expansion history, which would search back to when I started, you know, seriously tracking stuff in, in or, you know, I, I started following like what happens with expansion teams in like 2007 when Toronto came in and, and it can be really hard to pull off a successful first season. And they went deep in the playoffs that year um, and they have really, they, it took them two years, as he said, it doesn't always happen on the first year when you uh, assemble a team with, uh, the money to do so. Um, but they, they had money, they made smart decisions, they had a plan and executed the first phase of their development, um, pretty much, I think, as perfectly as you would think they would, uh, they could have hoped for, um, and now it's time to see what phase two is going to be like. Yeah, but the future looks pretty good. <laughs> it does. All right, I'm going to throw you another uh, favorite of ours in MLS team that we've talked a lot about before, but we do love here and we love the fans of Columbus Crew SC. Columbus is a really interesting one. They're a charter. They are a, a charter team in the league. Um, they have had success in the, in the early days of the league and now. Um, they have been defined in the last two years by a relocation struggle that existed when their previous owner um, wanted to move the team to, uh, to Austin, Texas, for a number of reasons, including um, key business indicators as was uh, <laughs> as was def- as was defended at the time uh they are another team that's located in a soccer specific stadium in the suburbs that now doesn't get them that is that at the time was state of the art and now in our uh era of stadium grift has become uh something that 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 needs to be that has, that they have outgrown um this was announced extraordinarily just before the team entered a playoff campaign in which they were incredibly strong. Under any circumstances, a team that has that much that much history in the league, uh, you it was crazy to imagine that happening. Um, and really the idea that the 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 with when a team was going through any struggles, the the fans really pulled through, and that was, I think, a key storyline of last year was how well they did, and how well how many people continued to go to these games when the owners were in like open revolt against the town and the city. But the fans um, kind of stepped through. They were, despite the mm-hmm. the, the weird mutual antagonism, uh, they have been sold to a consortium including the Haslam family. Um, that owns the Cleveland Browns NFL team. Uh, and I think what's going to be interesting now that this sort of this, that was the defining thing that defined their, their last, their season and the postseason before that. And every game they played was, was this battle of save the crew. It made them a real, 
real phenomenon in MLS. Uh, the Haslam's have listened to Arthur Blank, who is the owner of the Falcons in Atlanta United, uh, and he has already made uh, the that family has already made key moves. Uh, among them, uh, hiring MLS winning uh, Cup winning coach uh, Caleb Porter. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be fun now. This is what we want. When you get behind a team that you don't want to see go away, uh, I feel like they could switch from uh, everybody's favorite second team to antagonists real quick if they start getting good. Uh, but that's Absolutely. great. We love to see that. You know, I'm 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 still really happy to see the. Uh, to, to see them succeed, even if I think that it's going to really surprise people how well they do. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see Columbus without all the distractions of the last year and a half or so, and just a team able to play soccer. Not that it seemed to really affect them on the field all that much, but I'm excited that that's just done and they can get on with business. Um, I'm going to hit you with New York City FC. Ah, oh, crap. I knew you were going to do that. Uh-huh. New York- New York City FC is an expansion side that I've done very little research about this off season. They are not an expansion side. Well, they haven't been in the season. They haven't been in the uh, the league that long. This is what They're I. New-er. This is what I They're mean. New-er. This is what I mean by. This is what I mean by. There's been so many expansion sides that it's so hard to tell when a team is new or not. This is New York City's fifth season in the league. Sure. Well, they're still new. <laughs> Um, um, they've struggled in the league. They've not, um, they've, with the additions of some very big names and not just big names, but names like David Villa and Andrea Perlo, uh, they've done okay in their first few seasons in MLS. And by okay, I mean, they've been finishing up at near the top of the table. However, the playoff runs haven't always gone as deep because, um, despite their ability to overpower teams while they play on a baseball pitch in New York, They've still just kind of lacked that ingredient across the field. And I heard it summarized by a fan of theirs recently that said, you know, we were hoping for the David Villa of old, and then we just got old David Villa. And that really came to fruition last year, where without him, they didn't really seem to have much else. And even with him at times where they really needed him to show up, uh, didn't quite have the performances that they needed. Now, there are they're always a difficult team to play against because they, especially at home, because they play on a baseball pitch that's uh, very narrow. And they're also a team that just loves to attack and attack and attack and attack. And so just even winning the ball back long enough to try to get an opportunity against them can be difficult. I think that they've overall made some really good additions and added a little bit more depth and are taking the overall roster a little bit more seriously and it's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to fare this season without any star power this to me is really a completely new look team because they don't have one dp that they're really hinging all their hopes to now maxi morales is one of their uh, designated players and he's done very well for them and then they added um mitrita from uh forget where he's from but he's Romania sorry Romania Romania um you know he's 24 he's uh, a pacey forward and a smaller stature guy certainly not going to be a replacement for David Villa but they've 
the whole club has basically said that we're not we know he's not David Villa. Nobody's David Villa. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they fare this season. Without wanting to call it too soon, I actually feel like they might be able to overall um, go a little bit further than they have, especially last year, because they've got some more depth to their squad and some younger players beginning to come up. That being said, um, I don't think they've quite figured out what the secret sauce is yet. Um, they keep uh, they keep tripping up at that conference semifinal level, don't they? Um, they sure do. The 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 addition that I can make to your point about the 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 team chemistry not being based on a single DP is that um, they also uh, switch team they switch coaches halfway through last year as Patrick Vieira um, went to another appointment. And they added Dominic Torrent, who had a, a, a history um, in Spain, on the, underneath uh, as a, and especially was an assistant coach under Pep Guardiola. So I think that this year a lot of people are going to um, look to see what he produces in his first full season uh, at the helm. Mm-hmm. Andrew, yes, tell me about Toronto FC. Toronto FC, oh, they've been, uh, uh, they entered the league in 2007. They endured some really rotten years. And the, um, the, we talk about how hard it is. To, we talk about teams trying to figure it out or whether or not it's, it's easy or hard to, whether or not you can just bring in players to remedy that. And it seems Toronto FC learned every lesson in the book in their early history. Um, but nine years, uh, uh, after making their debuts, um, in 2007, they, uh, they combined, um, you know, the flashy bloody big deal signings of, of key stars from Europe, um, with some just smart team building and the, uh, the great coaching of Greg Vanny to uh to reach MLS Cup two years in a row and, and have a um a record breaking season and win MLS Cup in twenty seventeen. The issue is that the wheels of that championship winning team fell off the rails and Atlanta broke all their uh, Atlanta broke many of their records the next year. Mm-hmm. Um we are now in a post I wouldn't even say. I guess last year was the championship hangover, but but the we are now clearly in the, whatever the next era of Toronto FC is. As well, wouldn't it be the post Giovinco era? As 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 uh, Sebastian Giovinco, their trend there's their transcendent star who has won the MLS Golden Boot on one occasion, um, or I or I don't know if he's won more than once, but he was he was at or near MVP level for a long time. Um, and he has gone to Saudi Arabia after a contract dispute over an extension, um, uh, and, and they weren't able to come to an agreement over whether or not they should be at the club for a long time. So he's not there now. They've made this. They've made this decision that they don't because of the long term ramifications of of signing too long of a deal. They don't. They can. They they can do better. I don't even, I don't know how you put it, but it's like they decided they didn't need him enough to take that risk that he would be that good in the long term. Um, and after a tough year, they have had a tough 
you know, beginning to the preseason, going out, um, losing to a Panamanian team uh, for nothing, and then drawing one one at home in frigid conditions. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put down anybody that anybody that would played or went there that day, but but they have struggled to find ever since they figured it out. They've struggled to find a second correct answer. And, yeah. and it'll be interesting to see um, with, with, you know, that focus out what they can do. The, the, the one thing that you can say about them as well is that um, while some players, when they were not in the lineup last year, they, they, they went hard early on in the CONCACAF Champions League and um, received some key injuries, including to defender uh, Drew Moore. Um, one thing that you could, and they were able to adapt to that. One person that I think that they've always done a decent job of adapting to being gone is Javinko. Um, mm-hmm. especially when Altador is present and Altador just signed a big extension. Yeah. Uh, they can inspire, uh, they can inspire, uh, despair and joy and hatred in the eyes of their rivals. Uh, they are a many uh, a many faceted diamond is Toronto, and they will continue to have a year that uh, I'm sure will have a lot of people talking. Absolutely. Why don't you tell me about the Montreal Impact? All right, I will. Now this is kind of becoming a game two of guessing who, which team you're going to get next. <laughs> Montreal Impact have uh, been a team that I feel like kind of is like the forgotten little brother in MLS. That they they've been around long enough that people are always sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember Montreal Impact, but kind of fly under the radar until it's playoff time and people are going, wait, what, Montreal Impact is in, and then they're a very difficult team to beat. Now, they've been through several iterations, but they've really, I feel like, have kind of hit their peak in recent years, or in the last two years, I, I should say. But they brought in this the talisman that is uh, Piatti to, as their main designated player that they've really built a team around. And Piatti has lifted them up and carried them across the finish line many a time. Um, another club that has really tried to build off of um, homegrown talent, domestic talent, with a few other notable players like Piatti. Um, a more recent addition was uh, Bakari Sagna, of course, a great French player, also a longtime Arsenal player, and are beginning to show, I think, what they're capable of in MLS, but still have yet to find sort of that missing piece that's really going to take them up to the next level. Part of it is just a weird cultural thing that, of course, because um, they are in a French-speaking province and have a largely French-speaking player base, I feel like that's part of the reason why they kind of get overlooked in MLS, is they're just sort of like that weird French team, um, until you have to play against them, and they can be quite a nuisance to try to break down. Um, they made some additions, most notably uh, Ruti, long-time forward with Dallas, has joined their their squad and we've talked in the offseason about how that's um, really going to add some depth there and some gore, some goal scoring prowess. Maxi Arudi is really going to help take pressure off Piatti. 
Yes, and and that's I think what everyone's hoping is that at 34 we can't just expect Piatti to do everything, although he's certainly shown he can do a heck of a lot. I would say again a team that is probably going to fly under the radar but has a really strong young component to it that I think is going to continue to develop. In terms of what they're going to look like this season and how they shape up against other teams, they haven't made a lot of changes. So for now, I'm just going to say I think they'll have an okay season, but maybe we can expect similar to what we saw last year. Um, but it, I think they're kind of approaching a key turning point, and they've maybe started this transition, is what does Montreal Impact post Piatti look like? And how do we build a truly competitive squad where... Um, it's it's not enough to just be good. You really need to go kind of the next level in order to make it into the playoffs and to compete at the highest level in them. And the answer, I think, in those the answers, uh, I think, have often been uh, Safir Tider, who had a great year last year. Um, and uh, oh, they don't have uh... Anthony Jackson Hamel. Is that the other one? Anthony Jackson Hamel. I was going to say Tajiri Shradi, but. Um... Maybe he's not there anymore. Maybe I'm thinking. Maybe I'm thinking of a different player. Maybe I'm thinking of a different uh, a different team. But yes, um, they they definitely have those key. Uh, they have some key pieces in, in right, right. No, Safir Tider. Right. What am I thinking? Safir Tider is going to be a, a key part of their <laughs> uh, yeah their future. Absolutely. All right, a club that just seems to confound, but also seems to excite. Another team that flies under the radar, but we like a lot here just because they're 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 down, but they're never out. Philadelphia Union. Philadelphia Union is a really interesting team. Um, they were they, I believe, were. Uh, you know what? I said that Portland was expansions cousins with Vancouver. That was wrong. Portland's or Vancouver's expansions. Cousins are Philadelphia. Um, Portland came in the next year. Um, and like Vancouver, they're a team that in the time that they've been in the league have struggled to put together, um, you know, meaningful success, I would say. Which yeah. sounds rough, but I mean, it's true of the Whitecaps too. So what can you say? Um, the uh, They've had players... They, they've got a great fan culture there, um, and they had players that they love. Um, one of the, the players that they love that is no longer with them is CJ Sapong, who just got traded to Chicago. Um, oh, that's right. The Who was a, a really key um, player for them in some lean years. Uh, but they're always sort of trying to find that next piece and that next step that will... Uh, lead them into a place of a little bit more prominence. And I think that what, you know, has our interest always is the fact that they, um, they already, they always seem like they have potential. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they also added, uh, Aurelian Colin to their squad, a great defender, I believe who's with New York originally, um, seems like there's, there's always lots to be excited about for this club, but I agree uh, meaningful success has kind of eluded them. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can f finally break into that sort of next tier this year. Uh, let's talk about uh, the the home of your favorite player, uh, DC United. <laughs> I was genuinely so confused there for a second. I was like, wait, who's my favorite player? 
All right, DC United has been around the block. One of the old school OG teams in MLS and uh, a team that has had some success. And again, in recent years, like some of the original clubs, has been kind of out on the periphery again in these sort of older stadiums. They spent a heck of a lot of last season on the road for the first part as they were waiting to move into their new stadium. Um, something very fortunate that happened is they signed a young up-and-coming player named Wayne Rooney. That helped them out considerably. And then they finally got into their new stadium, which didn't just mean they had a flashy new home stadium to play in. It meant that they got to play an awful lot of home games there. And so yes. were able to string together some fantastic results to not just cheat their way into the playoffs, but really um, pronounce themselves and get into fourth place and do quite well. DC United going into this year, a team that uh, we also said probably didn't need to make too many changes. Um, and they must have listened to us because they really didn't make any drastic overhauls. They've added a few pieces and they've lost a few. Um, but I don't think there's any position where I feel like they are majorly lacking. Uh, the key thing here will be, can they start off on the right foot? Can they bring up some of the younger players? And can they fully embrace this idea of a DC United, I guess, 3.0 at this point in their new stadium? And again, what is it going to look like for them to reclaim their status as a top, top club in MLS? They've been out of it for a few years. Um, they've never been... One, I won't say never, but they haven't been like completely down in the the depths of the table. They've always been able to somewhat compete, but I, I see this as an important year for them to hit the ground running, win a lot of games at home, and see if they can bring up some younger, exciting players, and um, and also not expect that Wayne Ro Wayne Rooney is going to be the answer to all their problems because I think he had a great season last year, had a lot to prove. I don't see why he would diminish significantly, but he is getting on in years, and I think DC needs to, to strengthen the depth of their squad a little bit more to really be somebody that's going to be able to challenge the likes of Atlanta, the New Yorks, etc. Rooney was a really pleasant surprise for how he, he really seemed to link up with and support the rest of the team. Um, this is a team that I think also, you mentioned LA Galaxy in this way, but in its early stages, this was the Manchester United of MLS um, in, in terms of, in, you know, anybody but United is something that I had heard at that time when I first started watching when, when, you know, the, the 2000, the, the, they were the leader of MLS cups before, but their last MLS cup was in 2005. And mm -hmm. they are a team that has been defined by this issue of RFK stadium, the baseball stadium in which they were, previously playing um being delayed and they were trying to find new locations and then that fell through and it was happening year over year over year and this is finally the first year where that really is not going to be a part of their narrative at all um in, mm -hmm. in many many years so that's exciting to see uh i you were they're not going to have a scheduling um issue because of that Minnesota has got a new stadium, and I saw a good tweet that was like, you know, it's it finished construction this week, and it's like, I didn't know that it was legal for soccer stadiums to be done before the beginning of the season. <laughs> I didn't know that it was allowed. Uh, True but, enough. 
but uh, but it's it's gonna be a really DC is hitting that you know that's what they say about the big DPS two year like not the first year maybe the second year there a lot of things could converge for them this year. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, New England Revolution, a team that uh, can cause some consternation for us and and I'm sure their fans as well. Tell us about them. The New England Revolution is is one of the key, uh, another one of the key original uh, franchises in the league. Um, is owned by Robert Kraft, who also owns the New England Patriots and whose name has been in the news in connection to a uh, a criminal investigation that you can go read about <laughs> uh, if you if, if you want to do that um, the uh, I'd say that they, they, in, they kind of did this weird thing where they never really moved out of uh, the New England Patriots and Gillette Stadium um, at the, t- at the same time everybody was pursuing soccer specific stadiums and now we've come back to NFL stadiums and they're still in there so that's fun um, they were a team that was very, was for a long time, incredibly successful through the 2000 and 2009 era, often uh, placing at the top of the table, um, and often making runner up in MLS cup playoffs. They have reached MLS cup, uh, the MLS cup final game five times without ever, uh, coming Ooh. away with a trophy. Um, and I think in past in recent years, um, they have been a team. You know, I've, I they have great fans. Uh, they've been a long suffering team that I really want to see some some success with. And I, you think that you can see some potential, but realizing that potential has not always been uh, in the cards. Absolutely. And uh, I gotta say, it's kind of looking like things may just stay the course from where they've been uh, last season. And, and actually, I feel like, you know, they've, they've had some really key players that they can't seem to hang on to, or they have problems with uh, one way or another. And, uh, you know, last year in the offseason, the big question mark was over Lee Wynn, who ended up joining LAFC after a while. And they just seem to be they seem to have difficulty attracting players to the club and then keeping them there. So it, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them. Um, can you, uh, can you hit me with a team? I just did. We'll do it again. Oh, all right. <laughs> I will then New York Red Bulls. Let's go to the top. I like the Red Bulls. And, and, uh, this is a team that I, I really enjoyed watching last year and, I would contest your uh, your assertion with Atlanta that there was nobody in uh, that there was nobody in Atlanta's league. Certainly, once they accept that, yes, because because it was the Red Bulls who uh, pipped Atlanta to the post to get the presidents to get the uh, uh, supporters shield for first in the in in the regular season. It is the Red Bulls. I said it was Atlanta. It was the Red Bulls who broke those records. Uh, yeah. That belonged to hey, Toronto. I didn't correct you, so it's fine. Um, and and they have been a team that has managed to uh, to combine the success of their star their star striker uh, Bradley Wright Phillips um, with 
some decent with a decent amount of of committee scoring and and in in tenacity that has led them to um to a lot of success last year and i hope that we see more of it uh, in the coming year i don't think that there's a lot of when I look at the the list of players that have come and gone, other than Colin, who is a Aurelian Colin, who you mentioned, and in uh, their young superstar Tyler Adams, um, those are those are uh, 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 misses. But I think that um, the their success in the Champions League shows that you know when I when I watched that, I saw the same sort of. Um, you know, scrabble in the box, Danny Royer making things happen. That was such a great part of their success last year. So hopefully that that continues. Absolutely. Uh, they also have a, a lot of really young players that are coming up through the ranks. I think they have uh, one of the strongest defensive backlines in the league. Aaron Long and Tim Parker are just uh, fantastic dynamite for them. Um, yeah, things are just things continue to look bright for them. Bradley Wright Phillips seems to not age and continues to produce. I think the the my question for them, which is maybe less pertinent this season, but just a longer term goal, is who's going to be that next striker for them, and can they bring somebody up to be a striker partner for BWP um, while he's still fit and playing in his prime? Can you bring somebody up so that when Bradley Wright Phillips eventually retires, you've got somebody in the wings, a player that's, you know, maybe turning 26, 27, or, or maybe slightly younger to help fill that, that hole. But there's no reason to think that New York Red Bulls aren't going to continue to do well. They're doing well in Champions League. They've been doing well in preseason. They're going to be uh, a great team again this season. Um, can you tell me about Orlando? I can. I was hoping I'd get Orlando, actually. Poor Orlando City SC. They've been terrible ever since they joined MLS. I believe this is their fourth season in MLS. I want to say... Or is it also their fifth? I want to say it's five. I think they joined with uh, with, with New, New York, York City? which is true. Yeah, that's right. And they are also um, playing New York City in their home opener this... Uh, well, in just a day here. A team that's really, really struggled. Uh, another team that came in, and this was sort of the, the last gasp of the expansion sides that came in and thought, hey, let's sign a star player, put bums in seats, sell tickets. Lots of fun and excitement. Great marketing around the team, and they were so, so bad. Just <laughs> um, And I feel like that's actually just a fair statement to say. They continued their struggles last year at the very bottom of the table, despite bringing in some great players. The assist king, Sasha Kleshtian, we talked about how fortunes could maybe turn around for them. Um, Dom Dwyer was a big signing for them last year who couldn't quite seem to fit. They've got all these great pieces, but the, the pieces just don't seem to come together and the chemistry doesn't seem to be there. Now, they've made some interesting shifts in the offseason. Um, they've brought in a, another goalkeeper, Brian Rowe, joined from Vancouver Whitecaps. <clears throat> and the goalkeeper they had for the past few seasons, whose name is eluding me, which will come to me in momentarily. Joe Bendick. Thank you, Joe Bendick. Um, longtime goalkeeper. They parted ways with him, which I think was the right decision. I think Joe Bendick is a great goalkeeper, um, but was just conceding too many. Again, defensively, I think that they 
are still going to be a team that has a lot of work to do there. But I actually had the opportunity to to speak to a few fans and have a bit of a dialogue in, on Twitter about how Orlando fans were feeling this season. And many of them seem pleasantly surprised and rather optimistic about the defensive additions that have come into the club, which is great news because it, it's not always a, a sexy sell to people or something to really get the fan base excited. You're like, hey, we brought in some decent defenders that you've never heard of. But people were seeing that as a real um, uh, bonus and boost to the team. And then, of course, they brought in Nani, uh, longtime Manchester United star, uh, as a midfielder, uh, fast 32-year-old winger, a little bit of star power to, to pump them up. Um, we've both talked about him being probably a pretty good signing and not something that they need to worry too much about in terms of putting all their eggs in the Nani basket. Um, but a club that I think is still going to struggle somewhat to find that team chemistry. It's never been about a lack of talent on Orlando. It's always been about, can the team actually play well together? And that's going to be, continue to be the major task for them this season. Absolutely. Uh, I'm also going to hit you with, uh, Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire, another OG club. They were originals, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've been around forever. They've got a little star to their name. They've, the, uh, of course, when there were far fewer clubs, that, that was kind of the glory days of Chicago Fire. They've had a couple of good seasons since then, but have really, really struggled despite having um, a golden boot winner, one of the greatest midfielders to play the game on their team, uh, again, a team that just can't quite find their rhythm. They've made some interesting additions, though, this year. They got a little bit better oh. last season, and I see them as being a little bit of a sleeper this season in terms of a club that maybe gets written off at first. But a big piece that they've been missing is a strong goalkeeper, yeah. and they added David Osted in the offseason, who, of course, we are big fans of here. They've got Richard Sanchez, who I think has had some great opportunities in goal. He's 24. You've got David Osted at 34, pushing him for minutes. I think it'll be a great goalkeeper battle, and they can tighten things up at the back. And, of course, you mentioned they brought in CJ Sapong as well from Philadelphia. So they've got another strong forward who's got a ton of MLS experience and is a very reliable goal scorer. Um, Alexander Katai was a big addition for them last year that saw them uh, I think was a huge reason why they did a little bit better. And I think they've got a good mix now of ages in the club, um, some younger players, some older players. And I think that, you know, fortune favors the brave. I just want to see Chicago play a little bit more attacking style soccer this season. I felt like a lot of times watching them last season, they looked very hesitant on the ball and, if they can regain that confidence, I think that will help the chemistry, and I think they could be a, a really difficult team to beat this season. But it's all about the chemistry right now for them. I had been wrong about them being expansions or about them being a starting team. They were one of the first expansion sides, one in their first season in nineteen ninety eight. Um, they have won the, I believe they're the no, they've won the U.S. Open Cup four times, um, and they have on many occasions been very strong or, 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 you know, made it deep in the playoffs or won the supporter shield. 
in that early expansionary phase, or in that in that phase of MLS where where the clock ticked over to MLS 2.0, they had Mexican star Watamak Blanco. Um, mm. So they were also kind of seen as one of the uh, one of the key teams, but they lost in the conference finals um, four out of five years, and mm-hmm. then it just went down for them. Uh, they have brought in Bastian, uh, Bastian Schwein, uh, Schweinsteiger, um, and uh, but it, I don't think they're going to win off of him. But he's put players like Nemanja Nikolic in a position to succeed, and I think that his delivery is going to be a key part of their success this year. Absolutely. All right, take us home. We got one club, the newest club in MLS, FC Cincinnati. Tell us about this club. I've never heard of them. They're, they've, they've never <laughs> been around. Have they been? They've, I don't. I don't recognize them. You're not from around here. Um, well, it's hard too when they don't have any players you recognize either. So it's difficult. I get it. FC Cincinnati is the league's newest team. They are the. Uh, they have uh, just arrived. They are the expansion franchise. They are um, one of a one of many uh, a wave of teams to come up from the second division. In, I think from the time that the club was was drawing such huge numbers um, uh, into the uh, into their stadium um, and drawing such a huge base of support in the in lower league uh, American soccer, you had to think these guys are making it to MLS eventually, and they are. Um, they have uh, they have adopted the strategy. Their their manager from the second division. Alan Koch has come with him. He is a former uh, Whitecaps 2 head coach, um, and they utilized both. They, they utilized the expansion draft to move for assets, and also um, they utilized the super draft as well to both acquire assets and acquire a whole lot of picks. So they have a, a mix of the rights to, to, to new talent and uh, also some – Experienced uh, a talent that's experienced in the league from from around the league. Their their defense is super stacked. Um, but if Vancouver had this clean break, where they they let twenty players go and they're completely, um, you know, focusing on a new philosophy, uh, that same philosophy has found its way to Cincinnati, uh, where many <laughs> where where many of the players. Um, Including their their just recently announced their club captain um, Kendall Waston was last year's Whitecaps mm. captain, um, mm-hmm. and in uh, in so there's going to be there's a key core of people that or that are either were were in key Whitecaps roles or um, come from the Whitecaps system. That's not the only thing. Maybe we're over. Maybe we're not. We're maybe we're overemphasizing that. Over designated players like Fernando Adi, who who had a great success um, in Portland before moving to the team when the team was still at USL, um, mm-hmm. but I think that they're going to be very interesting. They're going to be very stacked. They've, uh, but like all first year teams, um, it's going to be really interesting to see if all of these all of these uh, pieces there there are many many midfielders and defenders uh, can can sort of fit together. Absolutely. I, I actually, I think that um, sort of all the white cap storylines has obscured it slightly that 
they're a team that has been struggling in preseason and, and certainly don't look like they have all the chemistry that they had as a USL side, which fair enough, it's a new team with a lot of new players. Um, Fernando Addy expressing some frustration in a news conference uh, this week about getting uh, service. So we'll see what happens with them. They've got the, the raw ingredients there, um, but I, th- I think it's going to be some, some growing pains. I don't think they're going to be electric out of the gate, but I, I think they're going to be a team that can definitely compete. Um, that's it for our, uh, our, our club roundup. Um, that's it? That's all? <laughs> the 2,700 clubs of MLS? My God, I think I had a birthday in there somewhere. I'm ready. I'm ready for, I'm ready for this weekend. Are you? I'm ready for bed. <laughs> what else do we, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I don't know if we got a lot of, uh, extra news. Um, we're, we're turning over as we record, uh, record this from, uh, from, from February, uh, Black History Mark into March, uh, but MLS put out a great roundtable that I got the chance to watch, um, involving uh, Crystal Dunn, uh, two lights, two uh, an NWS or sorry, a, a U.S. Women's National Team player, uh, a former U.S. Women's National Team player, a current player for the Philadelphia Union, a writer. And also a the founder of a, a a lifestyle brand who comes at it from the pers- supporters' perspective, um, talking about uh, soccer and black culture. It's a great watch, and I really recommend going to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to check that one out too. And uh, and we talked about various we talked about various DP signings. The Whitecaps haven't picked a captain, or the Whitecaps are going to pick a captain. They released a video that was supposedly the announcement of who the, the the season opening captain is going to be, uh, the season opener captain is going to be Johnny Aris, Aris um, who is a, a new arrival. He's said that that will not be, there will be a permanent captain, but they will not announce it yet. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the development on that front. Absolutely. In Alejandro Pozuelo is still potentially coming to Toronto in maybe mid March. That's that right. it on that if, on that front. If that deal ever gets done, the never ending story there. They did not succeed, as as mentioned. That was a cold, miserable game. But uh, but you know, all all uh, in the Champions League, all strength to them for uh, just for whoever was there to sticking it out. Indeed. That kind of takes us to uh, to time, I think, in terms of getting people ready for the preseason. Um, we record basically every week and, and do rundown of the games and try to keep you up to speed with all the important storylines. Um, so stay tuned for that. We're excited to have you on board if you're new. If you're not new, welcome back. We're excited. It, it seems like it's been months. Well, it has been months, but it seems like it's been a lot longer in some ways. In some ways, it feels like we were just doing this. I'm excited for the beginning of the season. Andrew, where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. You can find this podcast online at that'somls.com in uh, on Apple Podcasts and other places where podcasts are found. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. Where can we find you online? You can find me online tweeting shade at Breck Shea. Uh, Breck uh, tweeting shade 
anyway, um, at that's so MLS on Twitter and also that's so MLS on Instagram. When I when I when I uh, when I called you up today, you said, "Hold on, I have to post a. I have to. I have to finish this insult to Breck Shea on Twitter." Going straight to hell. <laughs> but it's 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 great. It's a great brand, and I advise sticking by it. <laughs> okay. Well. Until next time, don't get sent off.